0: Stay hungry, stay foolish.
1: Achieve success by becoming the change maker you are always meant to be. What is a matriarch? For one thing, you can tell she's in charge the second she walks into the room. She's bold, she's fierce, and she's got her own unique way. The matriarch isn't some crusty old lady dressed head-to-toe in black who sits at the head of the table barking demands at Sunday dinner. The modern matriarch is alive and vivacious. She's purposeful and deliberate about everything from her career to her home to her family to what she eats for lunch. She is not second-guessing herself but moving herself and those she loves boldly into the future. The matriarch's vision for her career is as big as her love for her family and she's paid her worth for work she's passionate about. The matriarch knows exactly what she wants the endgame to be, and she has the power to make it come to fruition. Simply put, she has her act together, and you feel safer and more secure when you're in her presence. So the question is, how does one become her? Today's episode answers that question and more. Recast yourself. Own your wins. Define Your Legacy and Leverage Your Success. Written by the CEO of a multi-million dollar startup, today's book provides you with guidelines that empower you to find personal success and growth in being compassionate, powerful and the forward-thinking woman that you are. Author of The Matriarch Rules, How to Own Your Power, Know Your Worth and Lead the Life You've Always Wanted, Randy Patterson. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here.
1: It's great to have you on the show. And you're probably wondering why I invited you on the innovation show and a book like this, probably when I cover last week, for example, books on innovation and frameworks and business models, et cetera. But the reason is that so much innovation comes from changing how people think. And I really felt that this book does that and it empowers both. Women, but also men who will take the time to read it because it gives us empathy to understand that so many people are wracked with doubt and fear and worry. And I really felt that this book empowers people. And if you empower people, change can happen.
0: I couldn't agree more.
1: Let's get into it. Let's share the origins of becoming an agreeable person because I felt that this is what you talked about this start. You said someone would say, What do you want to do? And you'd say, whatever you want to do. And they'd ask, what do you want for dinner? And you go, whatever you want is fine. This happened to you when you were a child. And because of that, it baked in a way of thinking that it was very, very hard to change, but you did that in a huge way.
0: This thing that people do when they get into that, that kind of rut of like, whatever you want, I don't know. I don't know whatever you want. I think that's typically classified as a people pleaser. I don't think that's what it is at all. I think it's a direct result of no self-esteem. I remember a period of my life where I just, I I didn't get to know myself. I didn't consider who I was or what I liked to eat. I mean, I knew when I ate a cupcake, it tasted good. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't that I wanted to please other people. I just didn't think my opinion mattered. I didn't think I was significant enough to contribute. And that's the low self-esteem that holds us back. That's the meat hook. In our back, that like holds us in place and prevents us from aspiring to be bigger, wiser, and greater.
1: Yeah, and I love your description of what the opposite to what you were then was a woman who knew she had power a mile away. And this is what we mentioned in the introduction. For one thing, you can tell when you're in charge, the second this person walks in the room, they're bold, they're fierce, and they have their own unique style. And when they smile, they aren't worried about if there's food stuck in their teeth. And, you know, I thought this was so important because so many people are always doubtful, and they're in that like posy stance where they're fearful of what people will think if they speak or speak up or make a suggestion in a brainstorming meeting, et cetera. But this is what you talk about when you tell us about a matriarch.
0: Yeah. You know, I had a few examples of matriarchs in my life as a kid. And when you're in the presence of a fierce woman, there's this feeling And I want to share with you a little bit about my aunt. Her name is Marsha Zazula, and Marsha Zazula is married to my uncle, John Zazula, or Johnny Z, as he's known in the heavy metal industry. And Johnny and Marsha opened a record store in the early 80s, which then evolved into uh, the management of some heavy metal bands, including Metallica and Anthrax and all these huge bands. And they opened their own record label and like they did amazing things. They literally took their passion for music for music and turned it into a paycheck. And Marsha Zazula, who was married to this music mogul, but she was like the badass behind this brand. She had like that Farafaucity kind of hair and that awesome eyeliner and like she said smart things and profound things and she poured into people and like she was revered and respected. And I was like 13, 14 years old and I would watch her put her makeup on and just be like, everything she did, she did with confidence. She broke rules and barriers and she stepped over boundaries that existed for everyone in the world except Marsha Zazula. She just was everything I ever wanted to be. Not that I wanted to be Marsha Zazula. I wanted to be my version. I wanted to, she was such a matriarch. There's no other way to describe it.
1: They're so important, those people. They're like examples that you can follow and you can go, this is possible. And she's my bloodline, so I can do it too. You know, and we had a show a couple of years ago called The Goldmine Effect. And it was about how that you get these pockets of excellence around the world. And this was exactly it. It was these people who proved That you could break barriers and create a mold for yourself. But we'll come back to that because it's something that you tell us in the matriarch rules. But I wanted to share your humble beginnings because the household you grew up in looked very different than the one you created for yourself. And I think it's really important to share your challenging beginnings because this shows where you came from. You weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth.
0: Oh, no. We grew up on welfare. Like My parents were very Self indulgent people and um, they indulged in the things that felt good. Drugs felt good and overeating felt good and leaving stores with things in your pockets that weren't on the receipt felt good. So I didn't really learn a lot about honesty and integrity and we didn't have structure and guidance. I mean, look, these people loved me and I knew that they loved me, but they didn't care for us. They didn't take care of us. And you know they didn't teach us how to keep our rooms or i didn't want to go to school anymore and like my mom signed the papers to like let me go get out of school she said you know get a, have a job within a week and i'll sign the papers like you know there was no foundation and i was embarrassed our house was disgusting it was filthy and my mother would pick me up at school and i would like open the door to get out and like garbage would fall out of the car like it just was there was no pride there was no honor there was I felt really alone a lot. I just didn't aspire to be anything. I didn't have an example of that.
1: And you talked here about the importance of having a wise counsel. And and I'll come back to that. But there's a key lesson in empathy I wanted to mention, Randy, because you did start to get together. You got a job, but you were a school dropout and you were empowered to do so by your parents. They let you do that. And you describe yourself with a shaved head at the side, black eyeliner and a gnarly attitude but there was an inner voice all the time that whispered to you that you could do better. And I think it's important for us to know that because we can be quick to judge others and overlook the privilege that so many of us are born into and look at somebody like you were and judge those people without any empathy from what inner voice is inside those people having a fight. And I think this is really important to realize. I'd love if you shared this period.
0: Yeah, it's funny because if a person really looks at like, All of the messages they get as a child, instead of just the ones we harbor, the ones we hold on to, which are typically negative, there are like, there's a teacher that tells you something. There's an adult in your life who whispers something and somehow, like, somehow it's in there. It sticks in your head somewhere. As you said, and quoted from the book, things looked awful. Like I hitchhiked everywhere and I I just had this attitude and I was, everything was black and dark and ugly. And... And there was this voice that just would whisper, You can do better. I would literally fight that voice. Like, I would hear the voice and like, I would turn up the music as loud as I could to drown it out. I didn't want to hear it, but it was there. And I think that a lot of my success came from me lowering the volume on the music and increasing the volume of that voice. And that voice was self esteem. That voice was a bubble of self esteem that lived inside me, that was being overtaken by low self-esteem, by negative self-talk, by all of these things. And I was literally crushing it. And um, as I I took some of the steps that I talk about in this book, the ugly voice started to soften a little bit and it made room for this bubble of self-esteem to begin to grow.
1: I mentioned there your wise counsel because you mentioned those people who whisper in your ear and we have them in life these people who are so important and also the negative side of that is somebody can tell you that you're worthless and reinforce those negative thoughts that you have but you talk about this important person that we have in our life and that we have to seek out and empower and it's the wise counselor and you had this lady in your life when you went to rehab in California and her name was Monica
0: I'm still in touch with Monica and you know it was so cool to be able to share Share this book with her and share what an impact she made on my life. And then I think when we're in those moments, the person doesn't realize they're having an impact on us the same way. Maybe your parents said some shit to you and they didn't realize it was going to have such a negative impact on you, but it did, and you held on to it. You know, Monica just showed up at the right time. She looked the right way. I felt like for the first time, somebody got me. Somebody really got me. She didn't push me. I liked her, I liked that she liked me. And I liked her enough to trust that if she thought I was cool, maybe I was.
1: There's a quote here I love. I mentioned that I was inspired reading your book and a few quotes came to mind. There was a, There's a great book I read when I was quite young called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he said, think twice before you speak because your words and influence will plant the seed of either success or failure in the mind of another. And I always think about what you said there about something a parent can say, and they may not know, maybe a throwaway comment, but if they say it over and over and over, it becomes your self-thought and becomes the lens through which you see the world. And then that manifests for you. And I share that to share that a common occurrence is when others try to dampen our dreams. And you say in the book, it takes an enormous amount of self-esteem that most women don't fully have yet to pursue something when the people you love say you shouldn't. So we must protect our dreams with our life.
0: That is probably one of the biggest setbacks for women in business. Women in business have a tendency to get excited about something. They have an idea and they share it with someone, someone who loves them. Make no mistake about it. I'm talking about people who believe in them and love them. But so many people are afraid of change. And what if this woman who's got this great idea changes? And becomes something else, becomes more confident, becomes more successful. Where does that put the other person? Where does that put them? And so, so I think if someone is risk averse and we share with them that we want to take a risk, they're going to try to talk us out of it. Not because it's what best, what's best for us, but because of how it might impact them and their relationship with us if we pursue it. And I think that we all have dream crushers in our lives, but I don't necessarily believe that They intend to crush our dreams. I just think that when you're in a relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, and you begin to change, that other person can have some fear about the relationship changing. So they have a tendency to sort of like snuff out this dream or convince you that maybe it's not a good idea.
1: It's everywhere. That's everywhere. You know, I I had that in my own life as well, but I wanted to share how... You came from there, from that place where people were crushing your dreams, where you were very lacking in self esteem. And fast forward 30 years today, you've just published your book. You're a matriarch, a loving and devoted wife and mother of two daughters, the co founder and CEO of a multi million dollar startup, and have achieved personal and professional success in numerous ways. So you take us on this journey in the book from how you went from a powerless and shattered girl to an empowered and vivacious businesswoman, wife, and mother. And you formulated rules for us in the book. These are the matriarch rules. Let's share at this stage, matriarch must-dos, one and two. I loved the idea of the self-esteem list. And you say here, before you close your eyes at the end of the day, write a list of three things you like about yourself. And that's the place to start.
0: Yeah, well, you know, Monica, (laughs) my first wise counsel, that was the first assignment she ever gave me when, you know, and I started working with her to like, kind of redevelop myself and she said to me before you go to bed tonight get a pen and paper and write three things that you like about yourself and they can't have anything to do with how you look it can't be like oh I have beautiful hair I have lovely eyes it can't be anything like that it has to be about who you are and that first night I was like okay I'm gonna do what Monica said and I got ready for bed I got the pen I got the paper and I sat there and like nothing came out of my hand like the pen put nothing on the paper and I thought and I reflected and imagine like not one thing. I could not think of one thing. You know, it took a few nights of like sitting with that pen in my hand pressed against the paper before I could figure anything out. And I had this profound idea. I woke up one day and I said, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to spend today preparing for having to write something on that piece of paper. And I behaved differently that day. And at the end of that day, I was able to write like, I gave a genuine compliment to somebody today. I made somebody feel good today. Like it was all based on behavior and and simply by making the decision to behave a different way. I was able to write things that I liked about myself.
1: It's so true that when we when we are intentional about things, we, we start spotting them. And you know, we, we cover a lot of neuroscience on the show. And there's a reason for that in the brain that I actually start to look for things that you deem important because you tell your brain, this is important for me now. And I love that about this exercise, matriarch must do one. And then matriarch must do two, is to take whatever time you need to answer these three questions. What do I want? how can I get it? And what is my end goal?
0: Those are questions that people like tuck away. They're questions that like people don't want to talk about, they don't want to think about. And the reason is because they require an action. And if you don't work on building that self-esteem, you're not really ready to take an action. It's really hard to take an action when you don't feel worthy of one.
1: So you said there about how direct those questions are. And oftentimes, we accept our excuses. And another thing I learned from studying Napoleon Hill's work was to challenge your excuses or alibis as he called them. And you say to be a matriarch, you tell us we need to stop lying to ourselves. And you say, and I quote you here, can you stop saying I'll try when you mean I won't, can you stop saying I'm too busy when you mean I won't take time to, can you stop saying I can't when you mean I don't want to. And for the love of all things, pizza. (laughs) can you stop saying i had no choice when you know damn well you did
0: yeah these lies they come so fast in the brain of a woman i mean i don't know how it works for you guys but like for a woman we're like oh yeah i'll try like that's some bullshit you are not gonna try you are setting yourself up to say i tried and i failed when we say i'll try to do something and then we don't it's sort of like we're giving ourselves a way to get off the hook, but then ultimately in the back of our mind, we're like, well, I tried to do that thing and I didn't do it. So I failed. And that's not true. If I'm going to try to do you a favor, no, that's me saying like, I don't really know if I want to do you a favor. So I'm going to just lie to you instead. So that later I can be like, oh, I tried to, but I couldn't. It's just a setup. It's just ugly language that we use it's excuses we don't we don't want to say the truth it doesn't make sense like lying to people is a bad thing to do lying to ourselves is a bad thing to do why we do that and think that's a better way to handle shit just doesn't even make sense
1: there's so many valuable lessons here for a parent as well whether there's a mother or a father and i got a lot out of this and i love the idea we talked there about, about your auntie putting these great visions in your head but also the message that you give to your children, you did this from a very, very young age, and you talked about the idea of being the vision caster. And every mother and every parent is a vision caster, whether they know it or not.
0: I think we don't see it as a vision caster. We see it as like our family values. And that's cool. Like we should have an idea of our family values. I mean, that's sort of building our family's brand, so to speak. But The vision caster knows where she wants her people to land. And I'm not saying cast the vision in terms of like, oh, I want this kid to be a lawyer and this kid to be a doctor. Like, I'm saying like, we've got to cast a vision for our people. We've got to show our people how to build self-esteem, how to build their self-worth. It would have been real easy for me to say to my kids, this is my house and I want these bedrooms cleaned. And I think a lot of parents fall into that. It has nothing to do with this is my house. What it has to do with is you deserve to live in a room that's clean and organized, and you are not going to live in a room that's beneath you. I was building human beings. I was like building the esteem and the worth, the value of young women. And they needed to know what they were worthy of. They were worthy of stepping into their room at the end of the day. And laying their head on a clean bed in a room that was organized, that gave them room to explore their thoughts and ideas. Like, that matters. That matters. And I made them watch me, not accept a lower standard for myself.
1: When you spoke about the matriarch, I thought about the matriarch as the CEO of a business as well as a family. It's the same thing, really. It's the same principles and values and culture, etc. And you talked about the matriarch setting clear expectations and that piece really spoke to me in an age where I feel we're a bit too easy on kids. And I don't mean, you know, kicking a chair in front of them so they fall, <laughs> but I mean, letting them skin their knees and learn the lesson. Because one thing that happens so many of us, and I'm sure this will relate to so many people listening to the show. When children ask to sign up for soccer, we should teach them about commitment. This is what you say in the book. We should say, you may play soccer for your whole life, or you may play for just one season. Either way, if we register you, you are going to commit to be part of the team until the season ends. The team will count on you, and you will count on the team. When the season ends, then we can reevaluate whether you're in or not. I thought that is such a valuable tip.
0: Well, thank you. Um, You know, so many parents just say, you got to finish what you start. There's no lesson in that. Why? Why do I have to finish what I start? I don't want to do it anymore. Like I thought you said I have to be true to myself. We can't just like throw out these cliches and expect a young mind to absorb it and understand it. But like, look me in the eye and say like, these people are counting on you. And you're counting on them like you are in it with these people from the beginning until the end. And then we can reevaluate how you feel. That's a life lesson. That means something to a person. We've got to give people information based on how it impacts them, not just finish way, start. It's got to be impactful.
1: I thought about this as a holistic approach to your book. The cycle has to end somewhere. Somebody has to break it. And you decided to do that. You could have just continued on in the vein of your parents. And they probably experienced maybe even worse than you did. And you decided to break the cycle, but you also decided to instill good values in your kids because there's one incident you talk about where a kid is playing a game and comes over and is horrific to her parent. Her parent goes, are you okay? I know you lost the game. And she says, I, oh, I hate you. You see this in the schoolyard. You see children treating their parents like dirt. and That should not be tolerated. And you say there's ways you can do this and instill those positive values without coming down and just going, you just will not do that to me. But you can actually draw it out of them instead.
0: I used to look my kids in the eye, they were real young. And I would say, I shared my body with you. You grew on the inside of my body. I literally shared my body with you. You ever speak the words, I hate you to me? It will absolutely devastate me. So when that woman, her daughter came up to her, we were sitting in the bleachers and I was with my older daughter who was maybe, I don't know, 18 at the time, 17, 18 years old. We were watching my younger daughter and the woman behind us, her daughter was on the team and she came up to the top of the stairs and she said, I need money. You know, and she was like really nasty to her mother. And she said, I hate you or something. It was awful. And the the woman looked at me and Erica and she said, do you talk to your mother like that? And she said, talk to my mother like that? The woman shared her body with me. Are you kidding? (laughs) No, I can't imagine. No, you can't talk to me like that. Are you kidding? Like, I will be there for you with my last breath, my last dollar. I will lay down and die for you. Absolutely not. Now, you will respect me. You'll respect yourself. You won't ever talk to me like that.
1: (laughs) That was a great part. Coming back to the matriarch as a CEO, you said a matriarch's future is based on our actions today. And it's funny because this is a theme that has come up for me so many times during this kind of COVID lockdown in the shows I've done recently where everything's based on decisions. And you know, I don't usually watch TV shows, but I've had a little bit of extra time lately, like the rest of the world. And I committed at the start of this year to actually start watching a show with my wife every evening. Cause we, I usually don't watch TV, but I started watching that show Ozark on Netflix. The consistent theme in that is about decisions and how one decision has an unintended consequence or a consequence anyway. Right. And then Last week, we had on Craig LeMasters, a uh, global CEO of a business called Assurant, and he said, leadership is about making decisions. So this aspect, that everything always begins with a decision, spoke to me that you talk about in the book, and you share five core concepts, starting with take history-changing actions. And to illustrate here, you might share the story of the corkscrew.
0: Ah, the story of the corkscrew. This was a big one, you know? So having been this kid who was raised with no ethics, without integrity, that was a big thing for me. And as, as I started to build self-esteem, I started to have some integrity. I became honest and I wanted to do the right thing and doing the right thing felt so good. Doing the wrong thing didn't feel bad. It didn't feel like anything. And I know that's kind of You know, I mean, it just was like, you just do whatever you want. It's bad, good. It doesn't matter. But when I started doing the right thing, I started to feel so good. And my kids were super young. You know, we live in New York. It was like a rainy and windy, miserable, cold day. And we had to go grocery shopping. We had to do the big grocery shopping trip. And so of course I have these two kids and I'm in the grocery store. I put all the groceries in. I've got a baby who's like six months old and a four-year-old following me around the store. We pay for the groceries. I put them all back in the cart and I'm moving through the parking lot and it's windy and rainy and there's puddles in the parking lot and I, the wagon feels like it weighs 200 pounds and I got these kids and I put the kids in the car and the wind is pounding and the rain is splashing me and I'm putting all the groceries in and I go, I pick up the last bag of groceries And in the cart, there's a corkscrew that I put in the wagon, like at the early part of the the grocery trip. And um, as soon as I saw it, I realized it didn't make it to the conveyor belt and I didn't pay for it. And I thought, oh, no big deal. Like, come on, just go home. It's miserable out. I've already got the kids in the car. And. So, well, let me look on the receipt. So I hopped in the car and I pull out this 10 foot long receipt and I'm just looking, looking, come on, corkscrew. Come on, corkscrew. Where are you? Where are you? And, and sure. And it was like, I don't know, maybe nine bucks or something. And sure enough, I get all the way to the bottom of the list and that corkscrew is not on it. And I mean, I just, I had become a person who does the right thing and I hopped out of the car and I was like, you guys, we got to go back into the store Mommy made a mistake and I didn't pay for this item. And I mean, I hopped out in that miserable, freezing cold, like miserable wind and rain. And I popped that six month old onto my hip or nine months, however old she was and my four year old on the other hip. And I was like, you hold the corkscrew. We got to go back in there. And like together as a family, I showed my kids like, the right side of who we are as people. And I taught them a valuable lesson and I affirmed for me what a rock star I am. It was such a pivotal moment. That wasn't the moment that I became that. That was the moment of evidence that I was that.
1: Yeah, I love that because you talk about your list then and you said at this stage, when we stop mentally listing all the things that we are not good at, we make room for more things that we are good at and this is where we should start tallying our successes to build evidence that we're on the positive path.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, there's always a time where we feel like I suck. I made a bad decision or like now look what I've done or like oh, every time I do this, this happens or, you know, and we, we haven't taken the time to like put an evidence report together. And so it's real easy to see the negative, but what if there was a written list? What if we literally like had a Google document that tallied our successes and each time we achieved something and, and achieving something sometimes for some of us is like, uh, you know, right now with COVID, like a lot of people, a lot of people are homeschooling their kids and working from home and maintaining a household. Like, I don't know, on a day like that, like. Getting a load of laundry into the washing machine, into the dryer, and folded and put away, like that goes on the list. In the midst of chaos, I still achieved. And in other cases, it's going to be something really big. Like, you know, I met a goal. I I lost weight. I opened my business. I turned a profit in my first year. Like it's going to be different for everybody. But imagine if you just had this giant scroll of all of your successes.
1: And it's much better than, as you say, scrolling through the internet, scrolling through Facebook, the scroll you created, because this is a really important part of the book. There's a saying that words create worlds. yeah. And it both means that the language we use, but also the self-talk we use, how we mm-hmm. talk to ourselves. And this is what started to happen at this moment in your evolution is you started to talk about yourself different. And for us, the lesson is, to start writing the story of you. So our story, start writing that. Literally be purposeful about that. And I'd love if you shared a little bit about this.
0: We are not our history. Who we are is based on how we behave now, how we present ourselves, what we do, what we say, where we are right now. You know, I've got a huge friend list, almost 5,000 people on Facebook. And I'll scroll and I'll see someone say like, I guess I suck as a mom or like, you know, these people are writing a story about who they are. What are we sharing about who we are and, and what we'll be and what we're doing? All of that is the story of us. And, you know, are we the person who steps up and handles things? Are we the person who gives up? Are we the person who talks positively about ourselves. We're actually writing the story and the way we behave each day becomes part of a story that we'll tell in the future. Imagine you're telling the story about how you handled a situation in the future to someone you admire. Write a story that you're gonna be proud to tell. Everything we do right now becomes part of the legacy, part of our story. This is the one thing. The one thing in the wide world that we have control over, the legacy is our story and we're writing it. And if you don't pick up the pen and you just let it happen to you, no good.
1: Every day will happen to you rather than you happen to the day. And one of the things I wanted to hone in on was you talked about the wise counsel earlier on, and there's a saying that we are the sum of the five people we spend most time with. And you talked about the idea of a co-signer. And I love this concept because who those people we go to in times of stress and worry and look for maybe to reinforce our excuses can actually change the course of our lives. While if we have somebody who will actually challenge our excuses, our life will go in a totally different direction.
0: That's exactly it. Let me back up because when you're looking for a co-signer, what you're saying is, I don't want to make a decision and I want you to make it for me. And the co-signer doesn't challenge you, like you said. Instead, they just support what they think you kind of want. And what wise counsel does, wise counsel doesn't care about that. Wise counsel doesn't care about what you want. Wise counsel is there to present ideas, to help you brainstorm, to help you dig deep into it, not to pad your corners, not to stroke your ego, not to help you quit on yourself if that's what you're trying to do, right? Like the co-signer if I'm, you know, let's say I'm I'm dieting, but now we're out to lunch and I'm like, oh my gosh, did you see their dessert? Like, oh, we should get dessert. Oh, but I'm trying to be on my diet. And your co is like, let's eat cake. You know what I mean? Like wise counsel goes, okay, well, let's think about this. Are you willing to forego X, Y, or Z for the rest of the week? Cause we can have a piece of cake as long as we go to the gym or whatever, you know? And I think, needing that co or looking for that co-signer is a direct result of low self-esteem and is not something we should be tolerating for ourselves.
1: And so next up, I thought we'd share this because this is something that happens so many startups, side hustlers, consultants, and it's this thing where you get dangled the carrot of further work. If you can just do this one for free and the person uses this against you and you tell us absolutely. No more free work.
0: No free work. Listen, I know that you have a mixed audience, but right now I'm talking to the ladies. I'm talking to the women because women have been put in a position where they're expected to work for free. And of course, like there's there's statistics on how much a woman is paid on the dollar versus a man and all of that exists, but I'm not even talking about that. That's not even what this is about. This is about women feeling compelled to work for free. Women asking favors of each other that aren't actually favors their employment opportunities. Uh, So often as a woman, another woman will say, oh, like if you do this, I'll, you know, and I can show, let's say you're a photographer. Oh, you take pictures of this event and I'll share them with everyone in my network. I have a huge network of people and I'll get you so much work, except she's going to say, Oh yeah, she's building a portfolio, so she did it for me for free. Or you know, oh, I know you do graphic design. Like, could you whip up a logo? I mean, I already know exactly what I want, so it would be super easy. Like, bitch, you don't know how easy it is to make a logo. Like, if it was so easy, you would do it yourself. <laughs> I'm a business consultant for primarily women, and I-, I see women like price themselves far too low, or for free, or the- or they barter. Oh well, I have chickens that make eggs, like. I mean, I could give you a dozen eggs. I don't work for eggs. I do not work for a granola bar and a bottle of water. Like, I don't do that. I work for money, and I'm not ashamed of it. And I think that there's just this negative connotation for women. like.
1: Going back to what you talked about at the start, so this, the origins of all this start when you're young. So this whole idea of you're not good enough or... Maybe somebody's better, et cetera. And this whole idea of lacking self-esteem, because you say there's three fears that hamper us from charging our worth. One is imposter syndrome. Two is fear of being judged. And three is fear of the unknown.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of the women that I consult for have imposter syndrome. They feel like, I'm new at this, I've just begun. I don't know that I can consider myself a professional yet. But I'll tell you, like what I know about My audience is that before they even begin the education to become a professional, they've invested years in researching, years in studying, years in acquiring knowledge. By the time, by the time they get to the actual education and certification or graduation or licensing, whatever it is, like they are, they are so profoundly capable. Of providing the service or whatever it is. um, It's just a matter of, I haven't done it before. And so when you're suffering from imposter syndrome, sometimes you have to look to someone who has been where you are and believe that they believe enough for you that you're ready. When it comes to fear of being judged, like that's the thing. If I ask for money for this service and somebody finds out, I heard like, she's only had one other client, like that's how much she's charging you. So of course, like there's this fear of judgment, like, you know, I I think for a lot of people, like being judged is one of the most horrible things that can happen. Like when we feel judged, we feel isolated, we feel less than no one wants to feel like that. And sort of trying to get in front of that they're afraid to charge their full price because they've already decided that someone will judge them and they know what that's going to feel like. And they've written this whole narrative about it. So they're like, well, I mean, I guess I could just do this much, even though that's only 10% of actually what I'm worth, you know? And then when it comes to the fear of the unknown, I mean, what if I don't give this person a discount and I never get work again? Like, no one's ever going to hire me again. Maybe this is the only client I'm ever going to get and I should accommodate them. I should make the sacrifice and accommodate them instead of doing what's in my best interest.
1: Moving on to a personal brand, because we're going to run out of time and you have a whole chapter on this developing our personal brands and we won't have time to go through that in depth, but I wanted to zoom in on one particular element. There's a saying that I love that's, do you light up a room when you enter it or when you leave it? Right. <laughs> and you ask us to consider how do we want other people to feel after spending time in our presence?
0: Yeah, I've been a doula for 23 years and a doula is a person who instills strength and reduces fear for families as they step into pregnancy, birth and the postpartum period. We provide physical, educational and emotional support to to women as they have a baby and bring a baby home and feed a baby and and people always say to me like, uh, what what's 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 a good quality in a doula? like how do you know when someone's a good doula? And I always say, if you feel better after spending time in the space of a doula than you did before, it's a great doula because because what we do all day long as we interact with people is we transfer energy and when you transfer positive energy towards someone else, That person feels better and wiser and stronger and happier after spending time in your presence.
1: I thought a really good way to finish the show today would be to focus on something that kind of dawned on me when I was reading the book in this period of lockdown where people are literally captive with each other, with their families, (laughs) whether they want to or not, including couples. And you say in the book, when a woman makes a decision to leave her partner and her kids out of desperation, thinking it's how she will find herself, she accepts reckless abandon as her next step. Imagine the desperation associated with that decision. It comes from letting life just happen to you. That really stood out for me because many of us make decisions based on frivolous thoughts rather than actually looking to the real cause of those decisions. And purpose is a huge thing for so many of us that we overlook. And I'd love if you'd share this as a kind of a final thought to today's show.
0: I will. I would love to do that. First, I want to say to your listeners who are in a relationship with a woman, you must encourage that woman to find herself in the relationship, in her life, as she needs to know what her value is as a person, because if you don't encourage her to do that and you don't make space for her to do that, she does wake up one day and feel like she needs to run. And, and we hear it all the time. I have to find myself. No, you don't have to find yourself. You have to build yourself. You have to make yourself. People say like, where do you want to be in 10 years? It doesn't matter where I want, where I am in 10 years. It matters that I live each day to the fullest, that I'm true to myself that I'm the very best version of myself, that I work each day to make sure that I'm putting my best foot forward, that on a day where I choose to like take the day off and watch Netflix, that I've made that decision. I didn't just sink into it out of like, oh, my life sucks, but rather I decided, you know what, I'm off today. Don't interrupt me, don't bother me. I'm laying on the couch, I'm eating bonbons and I'm watching Netflix. It's about taking ownership and when we truly own our power and we stop giving the power of our decision-making away, where we end up in 10 years is a place of confidence, acceptance, self-esteem, empowerment, and what's happening in our life, as long as we have those things, actually doesn't matter. So when we say, where do you see yourself in 10 years? As the bold, fierce matriarch that I am today, only a 10-year-older, better version of it.
1: Randy, for people who want to find you, find out more about your work, the startup, et cetera, where can they find you?
0: Come visit us at www.prodoula.com. And you can also find me at randypattersononline.com.
1: Author of The Matriarch Rules, How to Own Your Power, Know Your Worth, and Lead the Life You've Always Wanted, the rock and roll doula, Randy Patterson. Thank you for joining us.
0: What a pleasure.